0: This evening to Matthew chapter 22 for our scripture. Matthew 22, and I hope to begin with verse 23 and read to the end of the chapter. So we're beginning there where it says, Jesus answers the Sadducees. So Matthew 22 and verse 23. On that day, some Sadducees who say there is no resurrection came to Jesus and questioned him, asking, Teacher Moses said, If a man dies having no children, his brother as next of kin shall marry his wife and raise up children for his brother. Now there were seven brothers with us, and the first married and died, and having no children, left his wife to his brother. So also the second and the third, down to the seventh. Last of all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had married her. But Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken, not understanding the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. When the crowds heard this, they were astonished at his teaching. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, "You." And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, Then how does David, in the Spirit, call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? No one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Well, dear friends, again, we continue our study of the misery of man as it is laid before us in the Heidelberg Catechism. And last week, we were taught the true cause of our misery. Remember that it was the law of God that came to us. And you'll remember in Romans 7, the astonishing words that Paul gives us there, that when the law came, not only did it expose him to be a sinner, but it actually made him want to sin more. The very command, thou shalt not do this, made him want to do that very thing. And you'll remember I said, that's the monster that lives within. That's this monster of sin that lives within the heart of an unregenerate man or woman. And the law is God's tool for exposing that monster. And you'll remember last week, the the uh, our uh, the the Paul made it very clear uh, that it is not the law that is the problem. Uh, to use a, a term, an expression that we're quite used to today, don't blame the messenger, right? Don't blame the messenger. The law is simply exposing our sin, right? The real problem, of course, is sin. That was what we had last week in our Heidelberg Catechism, but now our instructor congregation. Takes us deeper into what the law is and to what it requires. And this is what we have then in question four and five of the Heidelberg Catechism, where the question is, What does God's law require of us? And the answer given is, Christ teaches us this in summary in Matthew 22, verse 37. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That is the content, you might say, of the law. And question five follows up with its terrible severity. Can you live up to all this perfectly? no. I am inclined by nature to hate God and my neighbor. Well, that's the catechism as it gives it to us. And to try to explain the doctrine of the catechism here is quite simple, right? That God's law requires of us love to God first and love to our neighbor. And the Catechism quotes, the majority of the Catechism that's given us here is Scripture itself. So it's kind of obvious then that the the scriptural backing for this is that text right there in Matthew 22 and verse 37. So that's what I would like to look closer at with you then this evening. So Matthew 22 and verse 37, which says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then Jesus goes on to give us the second, which is like it, or which is equally important then, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now what is Jesus teaching here? What does Jesus aim to teach us? And I have these these five things that I've listed for you there that I'd like to work through. And the first one there is, is what Jesus is teaching us here something new? Is this a new thing that Jesus has come up with? Right, We know that we have a New Testament or a New Covenant. And so we may ask ourselves, is this, is this teaching that Jesus is giving here new? Or is this simply Jesus quoting from the Old Testament? Well, this is not new teaching at all. In fact, in, in the Old Testament, we read these exact words. Jesus didn't come up with these words himself. He was quoting in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 5. Uh, well, let me start with verse 4. Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4, because this is the very famous Uh, Shema, right, that you've heard this many times. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And the very next verse is, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. So that certainly is something that the Jews would have been very familiar with. Jesus is not inventing something new there. But neither is the second part of it something new. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You can find that very clearly in Leviticus 19, verse 18. Verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There it is, right? But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So let's scratch that one off our list then. Jesus is not teaching something new here. This is not what Jesus is attempting to do. It's not something new. Then the next one there I've brought up is, is Jesus teaching us in line with this distinction that we often make When we try to think about love, and congregation, you know that theologians love to make distinctions, right? They love to take things apart and analyze them closely. And many times that's very helpful. Sometimes it's not so helpful, but this is one of the very helpful distinctions that theologians have given us throughout the years, the love of benevolence and the love of complacency. And what are those two? Well, it's to help us think about what we mean when we use the word love. When we use the word love. So when we talk about a love of benevolence, uh, and I like, at this point, to bring up the benevolent fund in the church. Because I think it helps you understand this idea that the love of benevolence is when we want to do good to someone. Right? Uh, we, we see somebody who is in need, and we desire to do something good to them. Either we give them a lift, we give them an encouraging word, we give them money, we, we give them uh, clothing, or whatever it is, we, we do good to them. And this is why we can love people that are uh, even completely unlovable right? They, they, a per- person can be completely miserable. A person can be uh, uh, full of all kinds of wickedness, right? But we still have this kind of love of benevolence towards them. We, in this sense, we, we love everyone. We should love everyone with that love of benevolence. We should do good to all, says the Apostle. A love of benevolence. But a love of complacency, uh, uh, our fathers have taught us, is something different. This is when we find something lovable in the object of our love all right this is the kind of love uh, to be perfectly clear here tonight that when we talk about food right we we love this kind of food because it tastes so good it's so excellent we love it for its excellency a love of benevolence intends to do good to the object but a love of complacence finds good in the object and loves it now again that's uh, a distinction that theologians have made it's a helpful distinction but is that what Jesus is getting at here? Does it help us to understand this text? And you look at that and you think, well, it says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you think, well, should we love God with a love of benevolence? Should we want to do good to God? That doesn't seem to quite fit here, does it? That we would want to do good. How could we do good to God? Is, is God a creature who needs our benevolence, as it were? And then when it goes on and it talks about the second commandment, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that makes a great deal of sense, right? That our neighbor should receive our benevolent love, our love of benevolence. But when we're talking about love to God, we think much more of a love of complacency. We find in God all good, perfect, infinite good. And our hearts go after that, and we relish it, we delight in it. We are complacent in it. And actually the word complacent nowadays has a completely different meaning, doesn't it? We use it quite differently, but uh, in in the old books, right, they would talk about complacency as to delight in an object for its goodness, right? A love of complacency finds the good in the object, but a love of benevolence does good, or intends to do good to the person. But still, when we look at this text here, even though it might help us understand a little bit how we are to love God and how we are to love our neighbor, it doesn't seem to be such a helpful distinction, at least in this particular place. So I'm going to uh, drop that. I'm not saying that it's completely useless, but it doesn't seem to help us open up this text so much. Then, then the third one there I've listed is actions versus heart, or actions versus motive, or actions versus character. Is this possibly what Jesus is meaning to get at? And here we have a very uh, uh, a fact that the Jewish people of those times loved laws and rules. All right? In fact there's there's reports in the Jewish literature that the Jews even counted the Jews liked to count as well. And they had 613 laws. And, and you know, regulating every aspect of your life and conduct. A law for this, a law for that. Oh, and they had so many laws for what you were allowed to do on the Sabbath, you know, and of course we know in the gospels that Jesus really took aim at that, didn't he? So is Jesus perhaps meaning to teach, and especially the Jewish people here, that the law is less concerned with actions, the outer things that we do, the external acts of our, of our uh, mind, and more with the motive, with the character, the heart of the person? Now I think clearly that is something that Jesus is is getting at here. Uh, again, uh, one one commentator I said or I read said this that with one stroke, Jesus cuts through all the fog that the Jewish lawyers and law students had had built up. Thou shalt do this, and if you do this, let me just give you an example of one. I remember one time that the Jews said that that you may not carry a burden on the Sabbath. The the Pharisees said, you may not carry a burden on the Sabbath. And Jewish mothers said, well, what about carrying our children? I mean, I I need to carry my baby on on Sunday. And the the, the Jewish... uh, Law said that, well, that's certainly allowed to carry your baby on Sunday, but if your baby should be carrying a stone, then you would be sinning because your baby's carrying a burden and you're carrying the baby. Now that's even just a little humorous to us, isn't it? That, that the Jews would, would make laws about something so trifling. But again, Jesus just cuts through that, right? With one stroke of his, of his, of his perfect word, Right? that the whole law is comprehended in love. Well love is something uh, dear friends that comes from within us. Right? Love certainly has uh, makes itself known in actions, no question about that, but it starts in our hearts. It starts in our character. And so you see there, don't you, how Jesus just cuts through all that fog that the Pharisees and the and the Jewish law scholars had had built up with these 600 plus whatever laws, right? Jesus says, "Listen, all the law is is reduced down to this. Love God And love your neighbor. And so Jesus there, moving the focus from our external actions, a baby carrying a stone, a mom carrying the baby, what? Really? You know? And, and Jesus is saying, love the Lord your God. What's within your heart? So Jesus is moving from actions and shifting the focus to the heart. So I think that certainly that is part of what we have here in this text. But then I come to the, to the next saying, love the source. And is Jesus perhaps telling us this? And let me paraphrase now the text just a little bit. So it has in verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second flows from it. Now again, that's not what the text says. I'm I'm paraphrasing here. But is this perhaps what Jesus means? That the second flows from it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So then maybe Jesus is setting up this first commandment as love for God and saying that when you love God, love for your neighbor will flow naturally from that first love. Now, is there any evidence that this may be what Jesus is is uh, is saying? And I find evidence for it, congregation, in the end of, uh, in verse 40, verse 40, where Jesus says, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Jesus is basically saying that all of what is required of us in Scripture, the law and the prophets, everything in the, in the Scriptures, again, for them, the Old Testament, everything in those Scriptures hangs, and, and that's really the word, is suspended, right? You see these lights, they are suspended from this chain. They depend on that chain for their, for their function. They can't work without those chains there. They would crash to the ground. Well, what Jesus is saying is that all the law and all the prophets and everything that's required from us in those law and prophets hang on these two commandments, and again, the idea here seems to be that this love for God is a source. It is a, a mother, as it were, that gives birth to these children of love for neighbor and all the other commandments that follow in the law and the prophets. So again, I, and I, and I kind of arrange these, by the way, in increasing order. So I think certainly, again, this is definitely something that Jesus is teaching us here. That all the other laws and requirements that are in the scriptures flow from this great commandment of love to God. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. Well, then the last one there is an undivided love. An undivided loving, And I think this one is the most clear in this passage that is given us. Right? Because now Jesus is talking about loving the Lord with all your mind. I'm sorry, he starts with all your heart. Now, he could have stopped right there, right? With all your heart. That, that includes everything, right? Your heart is the deepest part of you, right? Everything, all the choices we make flow out of our heart. So Jesus could have stopped right there, but he doesn't, right? He continues. And notice how he repeats the adjective every time. All your heart. With all your soul. Well, the soul too, right? Very similar to the heart, right? The soul with our, with our intellect and with our reason, with our will, by which we make choices, Right? It, the, all the psychological part of us. Again, with all your soul and with all your mind. And in the, uh, uh, the account that Mark gives us, he says, with all your strength. Well, certainly then this is teaching us an undivided love. A love for God that isn't partial. So we, we have a, a, a love for God uh, in this area of our life. And, and certainly we would be manifesting that even this evening as we gather here in this church. But the second we get out there, right, maybe things change. Or, or you know, when we're as, as businessmen, we act this way, right? And in church, we act this way, right? In our families, in front of our wives, we act this way. But in the, again, in the business world, we act this way, right? And so Jesus is saying now that this love for God, this love for our neighbor should be, uh, informing everything in all of our life, I remember uh, one man who who put it this way that it 's uh, the love for God is as the hub in the wheel right it 's at the center, and all of our choices that we make in life flow from that hub and the wrong way to think about it is like a pie chart right or if you make a pie chart you have your circle and one quarter of it is god 's three quarters of it is mine or For a more pious person, three-quarters of it is God's, three-quarters of my life is God's, but just this part over here I reserve for myself. Well, clearly, right, there's no question that Jesus is teaching that, that all of our heart, right? Uh, If you think of your marriage relationship and what your wife would think if your heart was divided up between uh, loving her and loving someone else, it's, it's unthinkable. Well, clearly that kind of divided love Jesus rejects vigorously in this text. So this is what Jesus is teaching us about love, right? That we should have a heart of love, that love flows from our heart, not just talking about actions. Love is the source of love for our neighbor and all other laws in the law and the prophets, and that our love should be an undivided love. This is what the law expects congregation to find in the heart's Of everyone. That's my first point. And now we come to the second point. We wish we could skip this one. But there it is. What the law finds. And in a sense, we've already seen this last week. But now, congregation, the catechism puts a name to that monster that we found within our souls. Last week, we talked about that monster. But this week, the catechism and scripture itself gives it a name and paul gives us that in romans 8 and verse 7 because the mind set on the flesh right that's just a, uh, another word then for an unregenerate an unsaved a non-christian person the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God. That means, congregation, that the name of that monster that lies within the heart of every unbeliever is hate. Hate. The mind set on the flesh is hostile towards God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And also in the book of James, chapter 4 and verse 4, he says, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? And it can be translated as hatred towards God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Congregation, this is what in the Reformed circles we have referred to as the great antithesis. That there's nobody who's in between these two places. Either our heart, by the work of the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit of God, our heart has been made loving, or our heart is full of that hate. It's hostile to God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Well, that moves me then to this first application as we reflect upon this, this grim reality of the hatred that dwells within the heart of every unregenerate person. And that's why I put there, congregation, the darkness deepens. Because last week we learned that the law exposed our sin and that the law even gave us a, a further desire to sin. But today a name is put on it. It's hostility towards God. You remember last week I even quoted that quote from Jonathan Edwards, right? That an unregenerate man would kill God if he had the opportunity and the ability. Man hates God. And this hatred lies in our heart. Where there should be love flowing out to God and our neighbor, instead there is hatred. Now, I know, congregation, that immediately we begin to object and think, well, you know, I know my neighbor is not a Christian. But I don't think his heart is full of hate either. I took a walk with my kids today around the circle there where I live, and there's a sign that says, hate has no home here. Well, I'm glad. But, congregation, the truth of the matter is that when a person is confronted with the demands of the gospel and the demands of the law, Hatred rises up within them. They may be civil people. They may even be religious people who go through the actions of religion. But let the law of God come into place with all its demands and with all its strictness. And you see, hatred rise up very quickly. And that monster of hate, right now we know that monster's name, that monster that dwells within the human soul rears up its head. That's dark, isn't it? And also, we learn from this hate that dwells within us, that even as love was a character trait, right? Not just pertaining to the actions that we perform, so hate that is in our heart is also a character issue, isn't it? Hate is something that dwells within our hearts. And and it gives birth to children, doesn't it? Hatred gives birth to anger. Hatred gives birth to divorce. Hatred gives birth to the to the to the most to the worst manifestation of hatred, which is of course murder. Flat out murder. These things are what come out of the human heart that is full of this kind of hate. And it is a it is a character issue. Congregation, we said it last week too, the, the depravity of the human person lies deeper than just our actions. It is deep within the heart of man. So the darkness deepens. There is a root a heart of hatred and hostility towards God. In the second place, our response to this, because congregation, this again teaches us something. Because we might step back and say, you know, I see a lot of truth in that. I know I had a lot of hatred in my life. I really need to clean that up. I really need to to work on this hate. I need to love people better. I need to be more benevolent to needy people. And I sure need to love God more, right? And we can begin to work ourselves up. Okay, maybe you make a list and I'm going to do this and I'm going to pray and I'm going to visit my needy neighbor who needs my help. And, uh, you know, when I see people, I'm going to try to be encouraging to them and, and all these things. But congregation, all of that for an unregenerate person whose heart has not been made new, it doesn't take into consideration the monster. This monster of hate that lives within us has to be dealt with first. This cancer of sin prevents and makes it impossible that we can ever clean up our heart by trying to build better habits, by making a checklist for myself. We might say, well, you know what? Let's, can't we skip over this section and, and go right to that section on the end where it talks about how to keep the Ten Commandments? I think that would be more beneficial for us. Let's talk about how can we love God above all? How can we love God? Uh, you know our, our neighbor, how can we not uh, take god 's name in vain? How can we remember the Sabbath day, not kill and not steal, and all these other things? but congregation, our catechism is a wise physician, and our instructor will not let us skip over these things until that monster is dealt with. That depravity that cancer has to be dealt with first. How can we begin to love when we are sold under sin? Another expression that the apostle used. How can we begin to love when we are slaves of this master? Slaves. That bondage needs to be broken first. I come to my third point. Dear friends, what a blessing it is for us as Christians to reflect back in our life. Now some of you will not have experienced this. But some of you probably have. And you remember in your life just how much hatred there was in your heart before you became a Christian. Now again, this is not a universal experience of all all Christians, but many Christians can testify to the fact how badly and how vigorously they hated people in their non-Christian days. And we're not surprised to hear that, are we? We're not surprised to hear that. It would be the condition of every one of us apart from the saving grace of God. Listen to these two scriptures once. I'm going to read to you Acts 9, verse 1. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Breathing threats and murder. Do you think that man's heart was full of hate? Now, congregation, the same man, the same man wrote this. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You all know what chapter that is, don't you? The same man, congregation. And that's why in this third point, I want to praise the grace of God for what he does in our life what he did in the life of Paul, he took Paul from a man breathing out threats and murder against the people of God, so much hate in that man, to writing a hymn of love that has never been surpassed. He continues, right? Love is patient. Love is kind. Is not jealous. Does not brag. Is not arrogant. And so on and so on he goes. This beautiful hymn of love the same man, congregation. The same man wrote that. What a difference. And perhaps there are some here who know, who remember that change when God took that hate out of your heart and put love in there. And even if that wasn't your experience, congregation, as God brought you to, his, to, to, to faith in Christ, still we can know what is in our hearts, even or, or what is in our hearts apart from the grace of God. And we can praise God for what he did in our life, making us people who love. I remember when I was younger, too, I heard this story of Kay Arthur, who I really don't know that much about. Maybe you know her. Kay Arthur, she's written some books, but her testimony was powerful. Her testimony was so powerful along these same lines that after her first marriage broke up in divorce, she was enraged with God. And she says that she stood in her apartment. And she actually literally shook her fist at God and said, to hell with you, God. So much hate that was in the heart of this woman. She felt the call of God on her life, but she hated God. And she goes on to say, I later learned that even as I was saying, to hell with you, God, God was saying, to heaven with you, K, from before the foundation of the world. That's powerful, isn't it? That's the electing love of God, that he takes people who are hostile to him and who hate him, and he transforms them, and he makes them ready to participate in the love and the joy of heaven. You could think, too, of of people like Nabil Karishi, right? Maybe some of you are familiar with that biography, the man who grew up in Hamas, He grew up a Hamas, which is a word for violence, and a a group which is dedicated to hatred. And to read how God took this man's heart and cleansed it of that hate and gave him a heart of love for people. In the the Covenant Chronicle, uh, maybe you've read the story that I put in there about those two men, right? The Japanese man was Fuchida, as his japanese name and this american man was jacob de Chaser. both burned with hatred towards the ethnic japanese jacob's hatred towards the japanese and fujita's hatred towards the americans they both burned with hatred but congregation god's grace got a hold of their hearts and gave them love for each other and i got to admit congregation that when i was listening to that biography in my car I, I, I wept for joy to hear of how those two men met in a room in Japan and bowed their knees before God together and praised God for his work of grace in their life. Fuchida's heart of hatred towards the U.S., towards the Americans, was t- completely taken away. And he embraced this man, Jacob de in love. These men were, by the way, participants in World War II. You can read the story yourself. And Fuchida, can you even believe it? Fajida was the first pilot into Pearl Harbor, the lead pilot. Now, congregation, what do you have to say about the grace of God tonight? Who took the lead pilot into Pearl Harbor and made him a child of God, whose heart, instead of brimming with hate, burst forth with love. That's an amazing story. In congregation, it's no more or less amazing than the story of God's grace in all of our lives here tonight. Praise God for his amazing grace. And I close this evening, congregation, with my fourth point. Heaven is a place of perfect love. Heaven is a place of perfect love. Hell, by the way, a place of unmixed hatred. A place of unmixed hatred. But heaven is a place of unmixed love. And congregation, this is such a wonderful point to end on this evening. Because it is such a dark story, isn't it? The human heart. But when we look into the human heart, when we look into our world today, and perhaps congregation, even tonight, you look into your own heart, and even as a Christian, sometimes that old hatred, sometimes that monster, it still springs up sometimes. Even when God has planted his love in our life. But in heaven, dear friends, it'll be a place of unmixed love. Because heaven is God's home that sign that I saw on the road, hatred has no home here. Congregation, it only applies in all its perfection to heaven. Heaven is a place where there is no hate because God is love. God is love. And and heaven is God's home. Heaven is where God dwells. And no hatred and nothing evil can ever come into God's dwelling place. Well, you can say, well, what about me, Pastor? How can I come into heaven then when I have a hate in my heart, when I have that monster, when I have sin in me, even after being converted by the grace of God? Well, congregation, God does a work. In John 17, we can read about what God does to people before they come into heaven. This is the high priestly prayer, John 17, that Christ prayed before he left this earth. And in John 17, in verse 26, Jesus prays to his Father and says, I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known. And here's the great truth tonight, congregation. So that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. Now think about that, congregation. That the love which God the Father has for God the Son, that God's now going to take that love and put it into my heart and into your heart if you're a believer today. Now that's a great mystery. But congregation, I would never dare say it unless the word of God went before me. And the word of God teaches us that Jesus is determined to take the love that God has and to put it in our hearts as believers. Now let me close tonight, congregation, with a question that I ask very directly to you this evening. What do you think about heaven? What do you think about heaven this evening? Are there times in your life, congregation, when you desire to be there? Times when you feel the decline of your own physical strength? Times when you feel the decline of your own mental strength? Times, perhaps, when you see that monster show its face again in your life. Congregation, those are times to say, come, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. Put that love of God in my soul that I might dwell in that place of perfect love where God loves the Son, the Son loves God. And in that love, congregation, in some way that I cannot possibly explain, We participate. We have a place there. You can't possibly imagine it, can you? That I would have a place in heaven. Especially, congregation, when you've seen something of your own heart. That I would have a place in heaven's glory. But it's true. And that's why I close with tonight, congregation, to assure you that whatever might be in your heart today, if you're trusting in Jesus, if your hand is in his, then your name, is written on the rolls of heaven. One day God will bring you there and he'll take away all that old hate out of your heart, whatever may be left after his grace, and he'll put the love of God, the love which God has for Jesus, he'll put that love in your heart. I pray that we will be there one day, congregation, and that we would live our life now in light of that glorious moment. May God grant it for us and our children. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, our hearts fail to understand so much of what is given us in Scripture. But tonight, Lord, we take hold of it by faith. The words of Jesus when he said that this heart, which is so full of hate and marked by hostility towards you, the great King, that in that heart, Lord, you will do a work, a marvelous work. You will take away the heart of stone and you will give us a heart, a soft heart a broken heart, that has love. And one day, even putting the love, your love, O God, into our heart, O God, I pray that we might live as those who are anxiously waiting that moment, who are standing, looking for your appearing, who are calling out in prayer, O come, Lord Jesus, yea, come quickly. Lord, help us to be heavenly-minded, even as we seek to do as much earthly good as we can. May our eyes and our focus be on heaven, that perfect place of abounding love. Lord wilt thou remember us then this evening? Will you be near to us and bring us through uh, this coming week? I pray, O oh God, that uh, whatever we may have to face this week, whatever hardship, uh, whatever uh, pleasing thing that happens to us, whatever irritating things happens to us, help us to do it those who are citizens of, great, of the great Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem above, and that we would live here like we hope to live there one day. Lord, will you remember us in your mercy then, and bless us and our loved ones for good. And all these things we ask in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let's close our service then this evening by turning in the hymnal to number 428, the blue hymnal, number 428. 428, out of my bondage, sorrow and night, Jesus I come, Jesus I come, into thy freedom, gladness and light. And what follows then in the four verses of 428 in the blue hymnal. blessing of the Lord and go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.